0: I almost feel making adult friendships abroad is actually easier than making adult friendships back in the US or maybe even any home country wherever you're from. And I think everybody abroad understands like that you're there by yourself. Even if you have a husband and children, it, most people don't have their mother, their father, their brothers, their sisters, their cousins and stuff like that there like even if they do have people. And then a lot of us were there just us. And so it's very transient. So people are used to people coming and going. And so, like, there's an ease of just saying, Oh, I don't know you that well, but come over and have a drink. Come over, eat dinner with us. Come out with us going here. And that just was really just so fulfilling. Hey, everyone.
1: Welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, the award-winning podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad. While exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness, I'm your host, Christine Job a Black American woman currently based in Spain, and I am not only a podcaster, but I'm also a business strategist who helps Black women and women of color leverage their talents and their expertise into viable and sustainable businesses. Businesses that make them financially abundant, while also professionally fulfilled businesses that they can take abroad to cultivate a life well lived. That is what I do. So if you have an idea, a side hustle, a business that maybe is not as profitable as you'd like it to be, go ahead and download my build a business abroad guide at flourishingofloreign.com and consider joining me in the next cohort of build a business abroad group coaching. This award-winning podcast is a labor of love, but labor nonetheless. So I ask all of you to please support this here podcast if you it, if you love it. You can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast and you have written a review for this podcast on any of the platforms that you may be listening on. So be it Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever, please rate the podcast five stars and leave me a review. And of course, please do continue sharing the podcast with your friends, your family, your associates, the colleagues that you like. Whomever, please share this podcast with them because that is how this podcast grows. All right, on to the next episode. Today's guest is Adrian Waller, and Adrienne is originally from Detroit, Michigan. She currently resides on Grand Cayman in the Cayman Islands. She started her expat journey actually at the age of five due to her mother taking a job abroad. Really, really interesting story. And then she decided to move abroad as an adult, and that decision has taken her to Qatar, to Kuwait, and to China, and now to Grand Cayman. During our conversation, we talked about how living abroad improved her financial wellness, what it's being an international educator, working in Qatar, working in Kuwait, working in China, and of course, dating abroad. But... Adrian's experience dating abroad is super unique. Now, y'all know if you've been listening to the podcast that I have asked this question to you, a lot of my guests, and I've even have different dating abroad compilations. But what makes Adrian's story so interesting is that she has exclusively dated Black American men abroad, which if y'all didn't know is an incredible feat. But I'm going to let Adrian tell y'all all about it.
0: My name is Adrian Waller. I am 37 years old, living in the Cayman Islands, Grand Cayman specifically. I'm from outside of Detroit, Michigan. So my mom is a lot of why I probably am abroad now. So one, my mom, when she graduated from college, she worked a year and then she left home and initially didn't leave the country. She just left the DMV, worked in Texas and then moved to Michigan, which is where I'm from. When I was five she got the bright idea to take a position in Germany. And I really think very early, both living abroad, having gone to France and going up the Eiffel Tower with my grandmother at five or six, seeing castles in the countryside in Germany, going to see the tulips in Amsterdam and all of these things. I think very early, that idea of global travel was there. But even beyond that, Every holiday, we were in a car driving down to Texas, driving to the DMV, or even just over to um, the other side of the state to see family. And so I was const—we were constantly in a travel movement. So I never really thought of where you lived had to be where your family was. Because we often didn't live where our family was, and so I was always very keen and open to seeing more of the world but didn't always know how to do it.
1: I asked Adrian, how long did she live in Germany as a child and in which cities? We were only there for two years.
0: And I say only because it does feel like drop out of the hat now, but I really enjoyed it. And it was really interesting because I had all these rich experiences. I said, we did a lot of traveling. Around Europe, which was really, really cool. But I remember taking classes and learning German. And I remember that my mom had a friend who was German, of which she actually still keeps in contact with one of them. And when I would go over their house, they were very kind of artsy people. And so I remember learning to make bread and painting with them and just having a really good time. And I remember. A lot of my day today was really similar, but there was a freedom that was there that I didn't have in America that like as I I guess is maybe one of the first times I thought about it that I had. So I remember that we lived in two different houses when we were there and I remember how big both spaces were in both places. I had enormous rooms and play areas and the second house, we were on a street that at the end of the street had an amazing playground that even had a zip line on it. And that's the thing I remember the most was the zip line. But what was interesting was that as a kid, my mom could just tell me to go down the street. And being from Metro Detroit, that wasn't as much of a thing to just be able to go outside and play and not think about your safety, not think about... Is it OK to do it? I remember we sometimes forgot to lock the doors and never worried about the doors being locked, which now having been abroad, I'm like, oh, wow, that theme over all of these years, 20, 30 years later, hasn't changed. That There is a freedom and a safety that you can often feel outside of the United States I just never would have thought as particularly how America's portrayed as being just this great and amazing place. There's so much more out in the world. And so I remember having and I don't have we I didn't celebrate a lot of birthdays, but I did have one birthday party in Germany. And I remember that and I remember my father dressing up and I just remember a freedom then when we got back to America, it was almost kind of taken away. So we went from living in these massively big houses where I could go down the street. And I don't remember wanting for much, but I do remember when we got back, that wasn't per se the situation. And we weren't impoverished or anything like that, but I do remember us having to think about my mom having to think and make choices about what we were going to do. And we lived in a two bedroom apartment. Me and my brother shared a room. When I was in Germany, my room was massive. If I think about it, my living room and kitchen put together is probably about the size my bedroom was as a kid in Germany. And so those are just really interesting juxtapositions to go from having so much and not, I said, not to having so little, but just being so basic and normal where I don't remember my mom really Thinking too much about how she could give into us, love on us, in the same way that we had to think about that when we returned. So we lived, we moved twice. So I remember we lived in Mainz in Munich, if I'm not mistaken. But I was a kid, so some of like, I've also as an adult realized that kids' minds remember things differently. So I definitely would have to pull my mom to the side and say, Ma, where
1: were we again? So Adrian had this incredible experience of living abroad as a child that really did leave a substantial impact on her. And so I asked her to describe to me her journey to moving abroad again, but now as an adult
0: thinking about going abroad again happened actually kind of twice in my life. And so once it happened in undergrad and it wasn't, I don't think I thought about it as living, just as escaping as a way to go see something different. And so, and also it was a lot of it. This is crazy. I didn't think about some of these connections. I guess so much of both um, decisions were about like, how can I elevate myself? How can I push myself forward? So in undergrad, it was I got accepted into a research program that allowed me to go to South Africa for three months and live and work and research and be a student at University of KwaZulu-Natal, like all of that. And so that was just more like exploration, checking it out. But I knew that research was something that would look good on my resume and whatever I did next, having had that experience, would be really good. After college, my undergrad major wasn't in education. And so as I neared the end of my senior year, I felt a bit lost about what what I was going to do, and I felt unfulfilled by chasing after the medical field. That just felt like there was something missing. So I did a AmeriCorps, and moved to the DMV, stayed with my grandparents, and worked with a nonprofit that worked with public schools, which brought me back into saying, "Yeah, I'm going to be a teacher." became a teacher, moved to Chicago, did Chicago Teaching fellows. so did an alternative certification. for a long time in my teaching career. I felt kind of I was inadequate. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> but moved to Chicago and just taught. And then I lost my father, and losing my father losing my father was a reset point. And so um, sorry. So I moved back home to be with my mom. And it was the first time I lived home in like eight years, maybe 12 if you count undergrads. So it was a new experience. I was living back home and took a massive pay cut, but was still teaching. And sometime there, I remember being at a leadership dinner in 2015. I was at this leadership dinner and it was a long table. And there were people just chatting. It was kind of informal, kind of like a thank you for your hard work. It was around December time. And I heard at both ends of the tables these whispers about these teachers who went and worked abroad and taught in different countries. I was like, wait. You can do that? That's a thing? And the instructional coach who was sitting next to me was like, yeah, I did it. I met my husband in Guatemala. We moved to the UAE. And I was just like, wow. I was just kind of amazed. And so I asked her how she did it. She kind of told me about what she used to do it. And then I kind of started setting up some time to chat with her. The funny thing was I was dating somebody at the time. And I remember bringing it up to him. And I thank him now. He's married with a wife and we're still really good friends. But I had brought it up to him and he's like, "Adrian, this sounds really cool. Why don't you look into it? And I was like, I don't know. And then he started, he went on to the site. He's like, well, what's the site she told you about? So I sent him the site. He started just finding job postings and sending them to me. And I remember on MLK Day 2016, I finally opened those emails and I finally started looking at what the jobs are. And I was like, oh, wow, people make money like, wow, this is a thing. And so I went back, talked to that instructional coach and she gave me like advice about doing it and about how meaningful it was for her and empowering and how much she grew and all of these great things. So I just started a profile and started applying and didn't really know exactly where I wanted to land. I kind of had said, let's go to the UAE since she had lived there and it made sense to me and kind of started hearing whispers about people being in the Middle East. So I was like, sure, why not? And kind of just did it. I can't say that I almost feel my undergrad experience was way more planned out and thoughtful than um, when I did it as an adult. As an adult, it was just like, I was also kind of disenchanted with education in the US. I felt very burnt out. I felt very unappreciated. And I was like, there's got to be something better. And I said, maybe education isn't for me. So I said, I'll go and I'll at least stay a year. And if that goes well, we'll see what happens. But I had just said, if it doesn't go well, I need to find something else. Clearly, education isn't it, and I just need to leave. If I can't, if I can go across the world and still be unfulfilled, there's clearly something missing.
1: So Adrian finally decides to open up those emails and actually start applying to some jobs. And she gets a particular job offer to Qatar. So I asked her to tell me what it was like moving to Qatar. So I
0: got an offer for a job in Qatar. And I just kind of said, yes, um, in the international world for educators, they only give you a few days sometimes to kind of make a decision. So they sent the offer and I knew I was ready to go. And I just said, yes. And then I kind of was like, oh, oh, I don't know if we can curse on here, but literally my body was like, oh, shit, I'm doing this. <laughs> and so I, I did it. And then I kind of started looking more into it. To be honest, when they had reached out and they had said Qatar, I was like, what is that? Where I thought it was another emirate and it wasn't. It was this own country. And I kind of started doing some research and then I started having to make some plans, communicate to family and friends because I've been telling them I had been applying. So like I said, in January, I started looking. So once I have something in my head, it, it's, it's coming. You just don't know when. So I had started talking to people like, yeah, I think I'm going to move to the Middle East. They're like, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah. I th- they're like, Adrian, where'd you get this idea from? I'm like, mm, I don't know, but I think this is what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to do it. And then I got it. I was like, yeah, I accepted a job. I'm leaving such and such a date. I'm leaving in August. And part of what I also did is um, I started checking out places in Detroit to eat. And like, those are ways that I could say goodbye to friends and family. And so, like, I created all these pop-up things that I would do to eat at places that I really had wanted to check out the whole time I lived there. So kind of operated a bit, a tourist, and but a tourist with friends who were doing things. And we did an annual fish fry as a family. And that fish fry was like my going away party. And it was just so many people there. And I felt very loved on as that was happening. People were like, go for it. A lot of people were like, I'm proud that you're able to do something I want to do and I'll probably never do. Go do it. At the same time, my mom, who's a person who is probably why I even ever even thought this was possible, was really starting to get worried and concerned. We started to kind of fight and argue. And she had even gotten to the point of saying it was selfish for me to leave. And it it, it got really tense. and when it was time to go, I don't think my mom was still fully in support of me going. She took me to the airport. She made sure I got off. But I know that she still was like, I don't know about this. This does not seem like a good idea. And for her, she had gone through living abroad, working for the U.S. military, working on a base and having that security. And I was just working for a random company nobody had heard of before. And that really worried her because she's like, what happens if something happens? And how do you do this? And how do you do that? And I didn't have a lot of answers. And I'm, I've always kind of been okay living in kind of gray areas of not knowing and enjoying the journey of experiencing. And my mom's like girl, you need to have a little bit more of a plan. And I'm not saying I'm not a planner because I am, but I also think there's something very liberating about gray spaces. And so I just was trying to lean into it, but she wasn't really for it. My brother just thought I was kind of crazy. And all of my friends are like, "Yep, Adrian would do something that (laughs) Adrian's the one person I know who would pack up her bags and go move to another country. So it was all these different kind of perspectives, which gave me a mix of feelings that I was feeling as I was preparing to go, going from being excited, being nervous, feeling doubtful, everything was kind of going through my mind as I prepared between saying yes, yeah, I'm gonna do it, and actually, you know, wheels up, headed over across the world.
1: I love asking my guests about the day they left their home country, and the day that they land and the country that is now their home. It is such a emotional time, and it is always full of craziness, truly. Sometimes outside of my guest control, and sometimes well within their control. You know, you guys have heard these episodes. So I asked Adrian to tell me, what was it like landing in Qatar, not to visit, but to live and to work?
0: I could guarantee you that somebody could make money off of my first couple of days from takeoff to landing. So I flew in an airline that was clearly super cheap. So it was like bad smells on it, really loud, tight layovers. Oh, my goodness. I was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And then you land in Qatar, one of the generally the best rated airport in the world. And literally, you understand why. I was breathtaking just getting off the plane. I was like, wow, look at this. You go to the bathroom and an airport bathroom has marble and there are these beautiful moving walkways that are elevated and people here helping. And I was just like, Oh my goodness. Wow. I was just amazed. But before we left the airport, I remember my school picked me up <laughs> in this moment. I can still see. And so we're walking out. And so, you know, it's air conditioned. I'm moving in August to Qatar, the Middle East. It's blazing hot outside. Heat that I never understood had Ever felt, couldn't even fathom. I'm from Metro Detroit. We get blizzards and things like that. That's what I'm used to. So, and I lived in Chicago, the windy city. So I had adapted, even though I wasn't the biggest fan of the cold, I had gotten used to that type of living. So I don't think I had any clue. And no, I know I had no clue what that heat was like. And I remember when we were walking out the airport. Doors. They had taken my bags, and it was two ladies, and I know exactly who they are, and my HR representative. And they were they all three walked kind of slightly in front of me. And as the doors opened, I remember them looking back at me, having no idea why they were doing it. And I approached the door. And as I get there, it's like literally I felt like I hit a wall. The heat was that heavy. It was like, whoa. I stopped in my tracks. And I remember them just laughing. It's like they knew it was coming. They knew I was going to have that reaction. They were waiting for it. And I remember being like, And it was like, my breath was taken away and it was like, whoa, oh, okay, this is something different and getting um, in the car. So we're riding and I'm like, wow, this city is beautiful. You can see they're building everything because at the time we're preparing for the World Cup. So the whole city was like in construction, under construction. We get to my apartment and they drop me off and it's not much in my apartment. I didn't know what to do. So I just laid on the bed. I remember spreading out on the bed and laying for maybe 15 minutes, just enough time to get super comfortable. And right as I got comfortable, I was like, yes. The air conditioning, lights, and everything go out. Now, mind you, I told you how I felt about the heat when I walked out. So to be in a building, this lost electricity. I've never been here. Don't know where the grocery store is. Don't know where a little bodega is. I don't know where anything is. I have no electricity, no heat. I don't even think my phone is working properly because I didn't get a SIM card. So I'm just sitting there laying there in the heat hoping that the air conditioning and lights turn back on. (laughs) And then this school was a really cheap school, so I had a roommate. So then my roommate comes, and I think by then the air is on, and so we decide to kind of explore, and we get these grand ideas to go walking in the heat. I remember walking to a mall that was a good mile and a half away in the heat. I remember looking at my phone, and it said one fifteen and here we are doo, 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 just walking and exploring it by the time i'm leaving qatar i can't even imagine walking around the country and that's when i probably should have been the most used to it by then that that whole 24 hours from taking off from dtw to landing in uh doha was just it, it was entertaining to say the
1: least i asked adrian to tell me about her first year in qatar
0: That first year in Qatar, I remember we went to orientation. So the school I worked for had maybe three or four branches. And so I remember going and we were having orientation at one branch and I hadn't done some stuff with my paperwork. And I remember breaking down crying because I thought I was going to be kicked out the country because I hadn't gotten paperwork done. And I felt a bit overwhelmed by everything that was kind of happening And so orientation passes and then the first day we're going to our school, I'm like, what is this? It it, it was now the other school was old villas, but they had done a good job of restoring things and making it look not as much old villas. The one that, I, the school I got placed at was, was nothing. It, it was old. It was dusty. It was dirty. It, I just was like, how is this my story? Like, this is not what I thought. You hear about the Middle East and you hear what I talk about. Marble in the bathrooms and at the malls. and th- This was not marble. I remember, <laughs> this school was funny. I remember at one point we had ran out of soap. And I remember I went to talk to the finance woman. I said, we need to get soap. We don't have soap. And, and now with COVID, I, that just seemed completely ridiculous, even though it seemed ridiculous. Then. And I remember her telling me, Inshallah, Inshallah. And I was like, no, God is willing to get us some soap. Can you please go get it? Like, this should not be like, and it was just a relaxed idea about like, I was like, but there's no soap. I think we were on down to four rolls of toilet tissue for the whole school. It was just like, no, like, take care of they were just like, eh it'll work out. And I just was at that. I remember it being really disorganized. And so I worked really diligently to help put in systems and structures to help the school so that it could run a lot more smoothly. I remember one time they decided that they were going to have a pet store come to the school and sell pets during break. And I remember... (laughs) A kid just walking into my classroom, and they didn't tell us that this was happening. So I didn't even know. I wasn't on duty, so I had no idea. And I remember a kid just walked into my classroom with a rabbit. And I was like, wait, what? Why is there a rabbit in my room? And then I remember a coworker saying that she could hear chicks, baby chickens chirping. And... Like she had to go through the kids' bags because they wouldn't tell her who had the chick. And so I also remember another teacher saying that, like I say, that at one point a kid came in with fish, accidentally dropped the bag. So there's fish splatter on the uh, ground, flapping around. Then some chicks got loose and they're bouncing up, trying to fly around. And it was some other animal had gotten out. Like, I guess the rabbit who was scurrying around the classroom, it was just a mess. But the kids were wonderful. Like I feel the system, the school itself was kind of a mess, but the kids, they brought a sense of joy to me that I needed. I had been searching for appreciation and I really felt that. I remember there was a kid who started, it was in my school, there were three teachers. I was teaching year three at a British curriculum school. And it was three of us. I was the most veteran, the most experienced, most knowledgeable. And then there was a white teacher, and we're all American, a white teacher who was literally in her first full classroom experience. She had done ESL before that. And then someone who was about in the middle of us, and she was um, Muslim as well, but from like southwest of the US. And I remember there was a kid who was transferring classes because he didn't want to be in the Muslim woman's classroom. And so they switched him to my classroom. (laughs) Go figure. He, His dad wasn't feeling that either. And I remember we had gone outside for um, duty, and I was outside at the time. And he, the kid, the kid's uh, father walked by, and he had just gotten in my class, barely even had a desk <laughs> in the classroom. And I saw the father, and so I go to introduce myself. Hi, I'm Miss Adrian. blah, 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 blah. And before break was over, which I think was only 15 minutes, the boy had been transferred out of my class. And I knew... I knew it was cause I was black. And so I remember the white teacher turning to me and going, I feel bad that that's happening to you. And I looked at her and I said, I feel bad for you because you have ignorant people in your classroom. The people who are in my classroom are open-minded and want me. And those parents loved on me and appreciated me. And the following year I moved out of the classroom into an administrative role. Parents were like, "No, we need you in the classroom. What's going on?" It, it was it was just a juxtaposition of a hot mess. In lots of love. And the other teachers, I felt a lot of strong community with. And so like in one space, I was like really upset. We would get paid late. They would tell us, be patient, like be patient with my paycheck. Like I didn't understand that the school was literally sometimes falling apart. I remember at one point the school had flooded because the Middle East isn't designed to get a lot of rain and the school had flooded and they had the cleaners doing construction work, which of course, that's a hot mess. And one of the cleaners, uh, a beam from the ceiling, I remember fell on his head and they wanted him to keep working. And I was just like, whoa, what kind of human beings am I working for? So I remember like this just mix of feelings of like, this is a mess, but also feeling value because a lot of times I could help unmess it. I could help with giving structure and then they valued that and saw that and promoted me. So there was It was quite interesting to have both things happening at the same time.
1: I asked Adrian to tell me, what was it like to actually settle into life in Qatar? Living, working, dating, having community?
0: I stayed in Qatar for three school years and then ended up stuck there during the pandemic, which is a whole nother story. So I did three main years there. And after my first year, like I said, I was out of the classroom leading professional development across five different schools and the growth that happened in that amount of time was just amazing. I grew into understanding my craft a lot better, understanding what my strength and talents were in the classroom, and what my strength and talents were with people as a leader. Even though I wasn't a principal or an assistant principal or anything like that, teachers looked to me for direction and advice. And when they were building lessons and units and things like that, we sat together and we did that. And so like, I really just grew in that way in Qatar, but I also grew outside of that. At one point, I started a website because I had been doing so much work and I wanted to showcase. I thought in my head, like my website would be like almost a digital portfolio, but also a resource to educators. And so I started my website and that was really a labor of love that really pushed me to think about myself differently, to think about myself as a true expert and as like someone who had value to offer not only students, but educators as well. Now, personally, I grew quite a few ways. So remember I said my mom was not a fan, but she still came to visit because my mom was always a fan of me. My mom was always a supporter of me. So she came to visit and then we went to Greece and Italy Together as well when she came on the first visit. And before she left, she understood why I was enjoying my life so much, why I was so happy. And she said, I remember after about a week of her being there, she's like, Wow, Adrian, you've really, you've really grown and matured. And just my patience with her was a lot better. Because she had to be patient there. You know, I told you it was a mess. <laughs> and that's just the school. The Middle East, they just function differently. You'll go To a government building, have read everything on the internet, brought all the documents they tell you and need none of them, and then come back and need all the ones that you didn't have before. It was just a constant kind of like, I had to be just patient and be okay with going with the flow, which I thought I was, but I clearly wasn't there
1: enough. I'm always curious to learn about Black communities abroad. Some cities and regions have thriving communities and some of them just have like just a couple chocolate drops going on. And honestly, even if there are vibrant communities, doesn't always mean that they are a harmonious community for sure. So I asked Adrian to describe to me the Black communities she has experienced while living abroad.
0: The black community in Qatar is amazing, amazing. And it really kind of to some degree reminded me of undergrad. So I went to a PWI and so we had a really close knit black community there. And I felt kind of similar in Qatar. And so we did everything. Black Panther came out. We had two theaters of all black people watching it together, dressed up. We would do boat rides. We would, they, they, Did a trip to the slave museum. I went on a desert safari. I mean, anything you wanted to do, you thought of. We did brunches, you know, like, I mean, by the time I was leaving, I was in tears. I had become so close with people who were there, and we were having fish fries at people's houses and surprise birthday parties. And like, I remember they did a surprise birthday party for me, and nobody, since or before has ever done that for me. And I remember I started crying. I'm kind of a waterworks. I'm a cancer. So that kind of happens. But the community was just amazing. And like, I remember I did, um, cause I had said, I'm probably never having children. So while my mom came to visit the second time I did my website reveal. Instead of a baby reveal, because I was like, well, this is going to be my baby. This is what I'm going to pour into. And I had so many people come out and who helped to make things for me and to help decorate and put it together and find me a spot and review it and all, like every step of the way, there were just people there. And I almost feel making adult friendships abroad is actually easier than making adult friendships back. In the U.S. or maybe even any home country, wherever you're from. And I think everybody abroad understands like that you're there by yourself. Even if you have a husband and children, it, most people don't have their mother, their father, their brothers, their sisters, their cousins and stuff that they're like, even if they do have people. And then some, a lot of us were there just us. And so... And it's very transient. So people are used to people coming and going. And so like there's an ease of just saying, oh, I don't know you that well, but come over and have a drink. Come over, eat dinner with us. Come out with us going here. And that just was really just so fulfilling. I still talk to so many of those people who I met there. I got into a very serious relationship. I I fell in love while I was abroad. And he and I are still friends to this day. And it's just... That experience was just so meaningful for me that I think it helped me when I moved to China to quickly almost hit the ground running is because I had learned so much about how to live abroad in Qatar and how to find community and how to build and nurture what I wanted around me that in China in no time I was here, there, shoot, people knew me and I had only been there two months they're like oh yeah I, like that was what i did and i just i i was shocked i didn't even really want to go to china but got there and in shanghai quickly just developed networks of people and i think i just kind of just was like look i'm going to try things and i'm going to experience what things ha- have to offer and at least try something once
1: Hey, I hope that you are enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And if this episode has got you thinking about taking that leap abroad, I would love for you to consider joining the Move Abroad with Intention course. The Move Abroad with Intention course is currently a five week live course. So that means it is five weeks, there's pre recorded material, but also, Every week for five weeks, you and me and everyone else, a part of the cohort, get together for about an hour to talk about your Move Abroad strategy. We talk about things that were in the material, things that were not in the material. So if you're looking to have a conversation with me about your Move Abroad plan and also join an amazing community of warm and lovely women who are on the same journey as you, consider joining the Move Abroad with Intention course today. All right, let's continue the show. Adrian is living and, quite frankly, thriving in Qatar. And so I asked her, why did she decide to leave Qatar and go to China?
0: I didn't want to, if I'm honest. I was loving Qatar. Like I said, I had a great community. I knew where things were. I was very comfortable. But I felt I had hit a ceiling at my company. And in full transparency, I got a new boss and he was very wishy-washy. One minute he was a big supporter of mine, the next minute he was lying on me. And I just didn't like that unhealthy feeling. And I told myself, Adrian, you deserve more, like your value. And I think that was probably another big takeaway from Qatar was me recognizing my value. And so it was March and March for anybody who's an international educator, is late. It's late to be looking for jobs internationally. Not only is it late for a teacher, it's extremely late if you're looking for leadership positions. So I had this kind of talk with Self and I said, Self, if you want to go abroad and you want to stay in administration, you're going to have to be open to the world and not be picky. I said, "Uh." so, you know, like really having this Russell tussle with myself and then saying like, so that means you got to put China on the table because it had been off the table. I was like, mm, they clearly don't like black people that all this stuff. I don't even know where I got these ideas from. I had just decided that that's that was the story. And so but like I said, it was late. And so I said, OK, open your mind. And so I I said, OK, and I put some feelers out and there weren't a lot of leadership positions out. And I hadn't had a lot of leadership experience. So I was kind of already behind the eight ball And there was a school in China who received me well. I got along well in an interview with the Taiwanese woman who would then be my supervisor. And I remember in the interview, and I don't know why I thought she could answer this. I said to her, I was like, she's like, well, do you have any questions for us? And I said, yeah, I'm black. Is that going to be okay? It wasn't even a thought out question. It wasn't even well organized. It was just here go for it. And she talked about how cosmopolitan Shanghai was, how international Shanghai was, how they at their school had a you know good number of Black teachers and even a Black administrator. And I was just like, okay, why not? Did a little bit more research. I try not to over-research. I know some people say, you should know every little thing about where you're going. And I think that People who I've seen research too much, they come to a country thinking they know it from what they saw on a blog, a YouTube, listen to on a podcast and all though I think you can learn a lot from me and others sharing our experiences with you. I firmly believe that everyone's experience is, is a decision of their own and is a result of their past, what they want their future to be, their present and what's going on, The school that they land at for educators, the city that they land in, the year that they land there, because I'm sure landing in Qatar 2020 was very different than when I landed in 2016. And even without COVID, just a few years of Qatar 2016 and Qatar 2011, which is only five years, were very different. A lot of development happened in that time. And so understanding all these different factors that go into it, research enough to feel comfortable and confident about the decision that you're making making to go to this country to go to this school or this company to live where you're going to live to feel comfortable to feel like it's safe it's reputable it's going to feed your needs but don't do it so much that you think you know what that place is like and you've never been there and don't think that just because you visit it you know what it's to live there either those those are very different coming and dropping in and you know hanging out at a few places even if you hang out with a couple of locals is not by any means necessarily what your experience will be your experience could be very much the same or it could be drastically different when you have to when you have sick days when you have a boss that you don't get along with when you go through a breakup when you struggle to find friends when you miss your family that's very different than a two three week you know period of time somewhere when this is it you you look at it differently but back to the main point was like China was I believe in myself I believe that I need you know a new challenge and I learned enough to feel comfortable with trying it out and did it and loved it.
1: So I have interviewed quite a few guests that have lived in China and China is a peculiar country. It is one that people either really enjoy living there or don't and are looking to leave. So I asked Adrian to describe to me her experience living in China
0: So, I only had a first year in China and I didn't even have a full year. I moved to China in 2019. Yep, ding, 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 the pandemic. (laughs) So, I moved and I remember within the first week, I was going to brunch with my sorority sisters and sightseeing and checking everything out. And I loved it, but at the same time, I was learning and figuring out quite a bit as well about what it meant to be an administrator, what it meant to have people who you were responsible for leading, because I had been leading kind of on the side, like nobody was really accountable to me, where in China, I had to do people's performance reviews within, I think it was my first month or two one of my teachers had to be written up for something that happened and that was a lot. And so I was going through a massive learning curve of learning the country, learning the city, learning the culture, as well as learning to be a leader, learning to be a black leader, learning to be a black woman leader and all of that, all at one time. And so that first six months was amazing. I remember just maybe a week or two before I left to go on Chinese New Year to go on a trip I remember I had started an event series with another young lady. So at a couple of brunches, people had started coming to me, like just naturally, like at brunches and asking me like, well, how did you get into leadership? Like, what did you do? And so I naturally just kind of started telling them about my journey and telling them about what I did and what opportunities I took and what strategic steps I took, but also giving them tips of what they could do to like, if they wanted to move out of the classroom, how they could start accepting things and doing different things that that would make them more competitive to have an opportunity at a leadership experience. And so one of the girls was like, and I had told people, hey, you want me to look at your resume, help you, whatever you need, I'll do it. And one girl took me up on it. And we met up, went through her resume, went through her goals for professional development, all of that stuff. And she's like, what? It would be really cool. It was really great how we could do some of this in brunch. And it's really cool how we're doing some of this now, one-on-one. She's like, and then we just had this idea to like do a series where we mix brunch with professional development, where it wasn't your school telling you where to go or what to do or what to learn, but really directed by you. But in a chill, laid back environment, teachers, we go out to happy hour. What are we talking about half the time? Work. Why don't we do it in a structured, meaningful way? And so we started an event series called Sip and Share. And Sip and Share went really, really well, very well received. People were like, oh my goodness, more, more, more. And was like, oh, great. And we had planned out the whole calendar of events for the rest of the school year. And I went off to Australia to visit my cousin for Chinese New Year. And I remember sitting in her living room and hearing about something called coronavirus. And I was like, what's going on? And it was starting in China, basically. And I remember being super scared about going back and my flight back had actually gotten canceled. And so ended up Going back to Qatar to kind of what I thought was waited out and allow for everything to calm down. And I never got back to China. I had to have somebody pack up my bags while I was on video. And it was like I felt my whole life was just ripped from me overnight. And I had a hard time dealing with that for like almost a year that was hard. It was like, I finally had gotten the position I wanted. I was doing things that I felt mattered. I was supporting people. And then just like with the wave of a brush, it was all gone. And I didn't have any agency in it. I didn't have, I didn't walk away from it. I didn't say that I didn't want to be there anymore. I didn't do that. The world did that. And that was a very humbling, a very traumatic, very tough experience that I probably needed as a life lesson that You just don't know. Like, I I knew today wasn't promised. How my father passed was in an accident. So one day he was here, perfectly healthy, and the next day he was gone. So I knew it, but I don't think I understood it. And I think COVID-19 really forced me to understand the limits and the... Just that you... And not to value stuff so much. And to... I had to lean in more to the work that I had done in Qatar of, like, believing in myself and... Believing that there was something better out there for me and losing my job in June. I told you it was late in March to try and find a job. The next year, I'm looking again in June and it was just, I was super frustrated, but my memories of China were just so positive. I remember dressing up and going out to a party for Halloween and I was, Where's Waldo? And I remember we did a Greek weekend and had all these events through Shanghai and all these black Greeks all together. It was just, it was just Every step of the way just felt so affirming, like in seeing so many black people. The one difference that was there is like you saw a lot of black people who were like entrepreneurs and starting things because China actually allows for people to be business owners who aren't Chinese in China. And so like I think China, if I'm not mistaken, has the most millionaires and billionaires like self-made from a different country in China and so you just are around so many people with all these different ideas that it just also is a little bit contagious and rubs off on you as like oh yeah I can keep elevating I can keep pushing and so but in all honesty I was there for six months working remotely for another six months and still engaging with the community during that time and I only had really a year in China.
1: So Adrian was living in China and actually spending the Chinese New Year abroad when COVID hit and things started to lock down. Instead of going back to China, she decides to go to Qatar. And I asked her, what was it like spending this COVID time in Qatar? So
0: I got locked in Qatar (laughs) because my idea was like, well, you know, people in Qatar. So you'll have somewhere that if it... goes a little longer than expected you'll have places to stay I was like oh I can catch up with all my old friends that I haven't seen and I didn't think I would see them for some years yay so I went back to Qatar to wait out the pandemic end up getting trapped there and ironically enough I thought and that was a big lesson I learned that I was coming back to the Qatar I had left only maybe six months before, six, seven months before. And it was a hard pill to swallow that they kept going. Yeah, I kept in contact with people, but their life didn't stop because I left. And so I felt very like out of sorts and people who would normally invite me to things, would forget that I was back in town. And I just remember really having a hard time, but at the same time feeling very loved on the amount of people who opened up their home for me. I lived with a couple of people where I had my own room and bathroom and money was a bit tight because I didn't know what was going on. So it was just everybody was just loving on me and taking care of me. At the same time, I felt very alone and isolated. And so that was in Qatar. And so, like I said, I was still there in June when I lost my job. So I start looking for jobs and I end up taking a job. I should have never taken. So in 2020, I went back home and then I actually moved to Kuwait. It was a choice I needed to make so I would have a lesson that I keep with me now, but it was a bad choice. I was so worried that I wouldn't be competitive that I just accepted that even though in my heart of hearts I knew it wasn't the position I wanted, it wasn't the pay that I wanted, it wasn't the country that I wanted. It was all these things I didn't want, and I went anyways, and I'll never do that again. I will curate my life choices in, in a much more meaningful way moving forward. So, I was in Kuwait and very unhappy and I was I went back to school and was finishing my administration certificate in Michigan and and then I got reached out to by my current school and they're like, Hey, you seem pretty awesome. Would you like to talk to us about our assistant principal position? And this was the direction I wanted to go. And so I was like, but I was like, I'm done with being abroad. I felt burnt out by being abroad. I had felt, you know, having lost my job in China, which just felt like a slap in the face. Having had some both amazing experiences, but some kind of challenging ones in Qatar, I was like, uh, I don't know. Now, now mind you, I still look back on both of those experiences as great. The only one I look back and go, mm, it's Kuwait. But Kuwait taught me how to be alone and be happy. So that's a great experience I learned from there. It taught me to not settle, and not just for jobs, but for anything. I don't need to settle. So the school reaches out to me, and I decide for the first time, probably ever in my career, I'm going to show up as fully Adrian. And if this job is meant for me, it'll work out. I remember wearing my hair different for every single interview. And I had like four or five interviews. I talked about my Black womanhood. I talked about what I didn't know and what I didn't have experience in. I talked about what I thought I was strong and passionate about. All of what made me an educator, but also just a person. All of that, they got put on the table and they still said yes. And that was like, I had never really had that experience. Um, I had dated and except for the time where, like I said, I fell in love abroad. I hadn't had a lot of experiences feeling people accepted all of me, the loud me, the forgetful me, the sometimes sassy, maybe rude, but not trying to be me, all all the negative along with the good, the intelligent me, the caring me, the giving me, the listening me. It was like they accepted the good, I felt like. And I think some of it was maybe my also, the way I had decided to look at life, but I didn't feel like people had accepted all of me. And so it was, I felt very validated in the job. Even before I got here, I felt like, yes, yes, I am enough. Me, who I am, how I am, is enough, just the way I am. And that's how I got here. I didn't look for this job. God sent me this job. I firmly believe that this was an act of a higher power saying, here, and showing me what the possibility was for me that I could dream bigger than what I was dreaming for myself.
1: All right, we're at the section that a lot of y'all have been anticipating, right? Dating, dating abroad. And as I mentioned earlier, Adrienne has had the unique experience of exclusively dating Black American men abroad, which is incredible. And she's the only person I've ever met or even heard of that has been able to do that. And so I asked Adrian to just break it down for us all and tell us what has dating abroad been like for her.
0: Dating, this is one people love to ask me about because I, I will date. I'm pretty open. So I feel like I don't know how people I, I don't understand this measure of success with dating <laughs> because my goal today is to get married. So to that end, I've been very unsuccessful because I'm still single. But in the other ways, it's been really great. Like I met some, like I said, I met somebody when I was in Qatar. Actually, I was dating somebody else when I met him and just was pushing myself to like meet new friends and go out. And that's where I met the guy that I ended up falling in love with and just had a lot of fun and felt appreciated. I remember parts of it that were successful Was this idea that again, that same idea of like valuing myself more. I remember I had paid off my car and he surprised me with cupcakes just to congratulate me. I didn't even think it was a big deal. And he wanted me to lean into celebrating my, my small wins and my big ones. He's like, not everybody can say that we would go shopping together and we would, you know, just go walking and talking. And I really enjoyed that. When I went to China, the guy spent the most time there. It took me all around the city. We would talk about money and investments. We'd talk about long-term goals. I didn't date a lot in Kuwait. I kind of hung out with one guy and he wanted stuff I just wasn't willing to give, (laughs) for lack of any better way to say it. So that didn't go anywhere, but I felt very comfortable being okay with setting boundaries about that. I feel I set much better boundaries abroad than I ever did in the U.S., and I've met people lots of different ways, but generally not on apps. I know a lot of people who do use apps to meet people abroad. The very, very first guy I dated in Qatar I met on Tinder, which might explain why that didn't go so well. But after that, I started to meet people in spaces that I went out that I pushed myself to be in. So... The guy I fell in love with, I met on a boat trip that was hosted by Brothers and Sisters of Qatar. The guy in China, I met at this like outdoor event after going to this live poetry set. The guy here, I met when I went to somebody's birthday party. So most of it's just been out in the places that I kind of want to be as I'm trying to be better about curate, dating myself. So like I feel like Date abroad, I've been much better about dating myself. Like I'll take myself out to dinner. I'll take myself out to drinks. I'll go. I'm okay going places alone. And I've gotten a lot better at that. To some degree, sometimes I prefer going places alone. And so in leaning into what just brings me joy or interest or things like that, that's where I've met people. And I've really enjoyed dating American men who I knew were employed and weren't Feeling a certain way by my degrees or my positions and things like that, and were're very comfortable in their own right about what they brought to you know the table, so I've really enjoyed it. I don't like I said success maybe hit or miss because I said I'm still not married, but I feel very good about where I am, and when I sit and look at myself, I'm very happy about what I can say has happened with me and dating and men.
1: And I asked her why she decided to exclusively date black American men abroad.
0: So, yeah, for you all who are listening, I'm like the unicorn. My friends are like, who are you? Uh At one, they're like, how do you do that? How do you manage to only do that? And how do you do that happily? And like, why are you doing that? So why I do that, is I work at schools that tend to work, particularly when I was in the Middle East and China, not here as much. But in those places, I was constantly negotiating cultures and language that when I got home, I didn't want to do that labor anymore. I wanted to get home and tell a joke and somebody got it. I remember I tried to date somebody one time in Qatar. And I remember we were messaging and this is going to sound so silly, but he's like, I live in furniture apartment. I didn't know what he was talking about. I was like a furniture apartment what does he live in a department store? like what is this? He was trying to say he lives in a furnished apartment, which i didn't understand why he was even telling me because almost everybody lives in a furnished apartment like ooh. and the people who didn't got stipends to furnish their apartment, so then they did live in a furnished apartment so and I was just like i can't do this like i i can't exert myself all day at work and then have to explain my jokes, explain my humor not understand theirs. I just wasn't interested. So I can't say that initially I consciously was like excluding other people. But I remember when I was still on Tinder that I did start looking at how people, this is so bad. Oh my goodness. I would look at how people conjugated verbs and how they wrote their profile. And if I didn't feel like it was written where you could like Fully, you know, communicate. I just wasn't interested. And it was, again, it really went back to, it's not that I had any, like, it wasn't about somebody being better or worse. It was, I don't want to do that work off the clock. I'm not getting paid to do this. I don't want to do it. And it's been a lot of fun because I felt like Black American men in the U.S. often were in such a state of, I guess chaos is the best word, constantly being under surveillance, constantly being questioned, constantly being looked at as a villain, frequently higher rates of unemployment, lower rates of education, that it was nice that abroad, that those really weren't things that they were generally thinking about or dealing with. And so we could come together in a way that felt natural and allowed us to just focus on the actual relationship and not the world around us in the same way so I really um enjoy I've enjoyed it my friends most of my friends think like like they don't do it now here it's been a little different so I guess technically in Africa I dated an African guy while I was there and then when I'm here I've dated not dated, I hung out with this guy a few times let's not make it more than what it was and he was local and in both of those cases they were black men. But in both cases, I still felt like there was a sense of trying to understand what they were saying and understand what they're communicating. Here, when I did meet, I met another guy. He's Jamaican, but he had spent a good amount of time in the US. So he understood how to communicate. We could joke. So it really comes down to this comfort. And it's it's probably slightly elitist and my anti-racist, anti-this, anti-that meter is going off at myself, but it really just came to, did I want to do this labor right now in my love life? And I just didn't want to, but I'm not against it per se, but I'm not, I'm not actively looking for people who don't have that shared understanding of the United States and what that means and how that means I show up.
1: I asked Adrian to describe to me the differences between dating in the U.S. and dating abroad.
0: In the U.S., I felt like American men in the U.S. are a little bit more forward, at least American black men are my, a lot more forward. So I felt, and it was interesting because some of it when I was in the U.S., I didn't like, like, hey, shorty, da-da-da, hey, blue dress, that type of stuff. I, I was like, Ugh, over it. But I think in my head, I took those as uh, signs that like, oh, people find me attractive and desirable. And that's not necessarily how men show up in other countries. They may not necessarily be as forward. And that initially was a bit difficult. Now, and that's from local viewpoint, which is why, again, I think I leaned into dating black men because I felt like often they made me feel very desirable, both physically and, you know, mentally and emotionally. And so liking who I was as my character and whatnot, not just who I was as my physical. So I definitely think abroad, I feel desire in a different way, but I, I've always felt kind of desire. So I guess that's not a hum- essential change, but it's nice to feel desire beyond just the physical. I think it's probably been the biggest shift for me.
1: I asked Adrian what is her personal definition of wellness and how has living abroad influenced that practice of wellness?
0: I would define wellness as being full in your authentic self. That's kind of how I have come to understand it. And I would say that's really evolved because I've been able to actually live it. (laughs) In the U.S., I wasn't living that. I wasn't living authenticity. I wasn't living fullness. I wasn't living happiness in self. And abroad, I've done that in all every aspect like authentically who i believe about mo- who i am about money authentically who i believe i am as an educator authentically living out fully who i am as a sister as a friend as a- all these different things and abroad really just sharpen that for me
1: thank you so much adrian for sharing your story i really appreciate it if you all want to keep up with adrian you can via social media I'm
0: trash at social media, but I can be found worldwide educator altogether on Instagram is by far the best place to find me. My Twitter is worldwide educator, but there's an eight in there because Twitter thought that was too many words. And then on my website, which is in the process of, you know, being updated. But if you really want to get a hold of me, find me on Instagram. I'm great with replying and sharing content that'll help you if you're an educator who wants to do this work.
1: Again, thank you so much, Adrian, and thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. If you want to learn more about Adrian, you can by going to her show notes page at flourishintheforeign.com. If you'd like to support this podcast, please feel free to buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.comslash flourishforeign. And if you feel moved to move abroad, I highly suggest you purchase the Moving Abroad with Intention guide as your first step to getting clear and confident before you go on to any of those moving abroad forums and get some weird advice or some general advice. And before you pay a consultant, it's important that you get clear about where you're going, about what this next chapter of your life really needs to look like for it to be a life well-lived for you. You can purchase the guide via the link in the description of this episode or via the website. Of course, thanks to Zachary Higgs, who produced the music of this podcast. And remember, y'all, it is not about moving abroad. And it can't just be about being abroad. It's about thriving abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well-lived. See y'all next time. Bye. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. I didn't want to be selfish, and I'm trying to put her first. That was my thinking. But I did have like a coming-to-myself moment where I was like, if I do this, if I give up who I am... And the life that I've already started creating in Italy and being an entrepreneur and being a writer and basing my life off of creativity and identity and femininity and just this this real subtle but powerful power of womanhood. If I give that up for the sake of quote unquote stability with a nine to five and quote unquote benefits, Number one, I'm going to be a shell of a person. I'm going to be a shell of a mother.